You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man. This is episode 19. Today, our good friend Sue, who is a physician assistant, will be talking with me about the ABCs of STDs. This is a multi-part episode, so we can get information out to keep people healthy and safe from sexually transmitted diseases. Today, we're talking about human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, and acquired immune deficiency syndrome, or AIDS. Now, the term AIDS was first used in 1982 by the CDC when the epidemic was just beginning to happen. Looking at statistics, approximately 1.2 million people in the U.S. have HIV. About 13% of them don't even know it and need testing. In 2019, an estimated 34,800 new HIV infections occurred in the United States. That same year, 36,801 people received an HIV diagnosis in the United States. So joining us once again as we talk about HIV and AIDS is physician assistant Sue. Sue, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Thank you. We're doing something a little different today as we actually uh, start talking about STDs, the most important one, I think, probably just because it hits so close to home being the gay Florida man, is HIV and AIDS and awareness about this virus. And I know that it has been around for a long time. It's been around since 1981. I feel like we need to revisit it and talk about it and talk about some things that are very commonly referred to in the gay community or the straight community, but PrEP and sexual activity, do's, don'ts, treatment, all of the above. The first thing I wanna actually tell a story is my first experience in regards to somebody with HIV. And I'm gonna take you back to 1993. I was going to school, going to college, and I was working at Tycon Towers in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. I was working as a security guard in the swing shift, but there were certain days where I didn't have to work and I worked in this little coffee shop. I knew the owner, John, and it was in the lobby of this office building. So you have all these office people all day long come in, they buy lottery tickets, magazines, newspapers, coffee, whatever. And so I'd work in there and just help out John a couple times a week and he paid me cash, it was kind of nice. But I had noticed this Life magazine And this is from September 1993. Cover of this magazine is the year of killer weather. Why has nature gone bad? Of course, I've always loved Life magazine. They have such great stories. But in this particular magazine, there's a story called One Little Boy Takes a Week Off from AIDS. I'm going to try to tell this story and not get emotional because... um, Too late. Yeah. (laughs) 
You you got me. Um, it's a tough story, but I I read this sitting there in that coffee shop, and it, it's tough because at that time, AIDS had been out and HIV. There was a certain amount of awareness, but a lot of people were ignorant. And so you see this article, and it basically talks about this little boy John Otero, and he goes to summer camp every year where all the other kids have this virus. His mother was a drug addict. She liked heroin needles and she had gotten it and she didn't even know she had it. And John got really sick. His lymph nodes got swollen. And that's where they discovered that both him and his mother had the virus. And at that time period, there was a lot of discrimination. People didn't know what this thing was, but they know they didn't want it. And they didn't know how it was transferred or contagious. I think there was a lot of things that were still happening in the medical field. In the meantime, the story revolves around John and how he can finally get away from like people protesting him going to school because he's got this virus. He could actually be a kid again. And so he goes to the summer camp and he can play with all these other kids and he can feel like a normal kid. He can actually enjoy his childhood. Unfortunately, at the end of summer camp, he has to go back to living at his grandmother's house and throwing a basketball at a trash can in the backyard, dreaming until next summer where he can be a kid again. It's a pretty heart-wrenching article if you can find it. Christine had been clean from drugs for a long time. Unfortunately, the damage was done. He has two other siblings that were older and didn't get it. I think that it was transferred to him in the birth canal, and we'll talk about that in a minute, Sue, because you'll be able to tell me exactly how that happens. I read this article, and it was heart-wrenching. I had reached out to Life Magazine and talked to the person that had wrote the article. And I had this idea to go up to New York and meet John and his mother, Christine, and put this basketball hoop in the backyard so he doesn't have to throw the basketball at a trash can in the backyard. He can actually have a basketball hoop. And it worked out, and I contacted Life. Life contacted Christine. And they thought it was really nice. And myself and two friends, Judy and Rob, we raised enough money. We bought the basketball hoop, the concrete and everything. We go up to Queens in New York and we meet this little boy. It was, it was tough because of the drug use. He was born with seven fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. He was extremely underweight because of her drug use. And of course he has this, this horrible virus. But it was really cool to go up there and meet this kid, get to know the family, and and see the story behind the article of Life magazine. And it was pretty amazing. We put the basketball hoop in. We had some of the best pizza I've ever had in my life. I got to know John. John had taken a videotape and put it in his VCR, and it was an article they had done locally on the news. And Matt Lauer was like the local host for the news there in New York talked about John and his story and summer camp and HIV. John put this tape in and he plays it so that I can see it. And he's really, really happy because he's a celebrity. He's on the news. And I'll never forget, Sue, I remember breaking down because of the innocence of that kid, not knowing why he's famous. And right. he just saw himself being on the news. And it was really heart-wrenching. Um, but it was, uh, an eye opener on how this disease affects so many more people. And 
a lot of ignorance at that time period was that this is a gay disease and that's that's not the case at all over time i'd gone that back to virginia that night we drove back and it was pretty heart-wrenching drive because we got involved with a story that we had no idea it was going to have so much emotional impact but it was really cool we became friends with them and we would do videos video letters and send john care packages and it was amazing to have this communication we eventually got john and christine and her boyfriend and the other kids they came down to virginia we went to the beach they had never done anything like this in their life it was so awesome eventually what happened was is over time christine passed away her kidneys failed and we went up for the viewing and john's father got custody of him and the other two children and i lost track of john and so i don't know how long he was able to survive i'm, I'm pretty sure at this point he, he's passed away it was my first experience with hiv and aids I will never forget it. I'm looking here at the magazine and it's pretty cool because John autographed his picture and I will put the picture <coughs> on mm. social media. It's cool story. Cool story. So what would be even more cool is if you could somehow reach back out to that family and find out what has happened. Yeah. I, I try that's even possible. I, I tried. It's just, unfortunately the, the name Otero and Constantini is pretty common in New York City. Mm, too many hits. Uh, but I, I've searched on social media multiple times for his brother and his sister and even the boyfriend. Just wonderful people, unfortunately. <sighs> Drugs does horrible shit. So. Yeah, well, you made one little boy's life so much better. It was memories that I will take to my deathbed. So. Yeah. Sue, what's your first experience with HIV AIDS? My first experience was, well, I graduated from nursing school in 1983. So HIV had just been diagnosed a year or two before where, I mean, it had been identified, but nobody knew what caused it or, and I can't say that I took care of any patients with it back then because I was, you know, just in little white bread Utah, but we had to treat everybody as if. And so our entire nursing standards changed as far as, you know, if somebody came in with the possibility or an infectious disease, or we found out that they were gay or using drugs or something. I mean, it, we couldn't protect ourselves. We, I don't want to say we treated these people badly um, intentionally. We, we didn't, but we treated them over cautiously so that, it affected their their comfort. I mean, it you know, if you have to strap on, I mean, we come back to COVID, if you have to put on all this protective gear to go in and do simple things, people get, you know, they don't have that contact that they should have with their nursing personnel. It's, I mean, COVID actually gave me terrible PTSD flashbacks mm. because of that. Then we started having, there were two particular one was a doc and one was a PA in Salt Lake. They started, it was infectious disease. They started taking all the HIV patients and they had a whole ward of them in the nineties, but there wasn't much we could do. But so we started really seeing the face of AIDS and being able to identify it a little bit on, you know, we didn't have to put on all this protective gear and, and things, but I, yeah, I gotta tell you that that 
COVID did a number on me because of that. And I don't think there's, I mean, there's a few healthcare professionals. I didn't think we were going to talk about this. There were, there's a few healthcare professionals that have been practicing that long. um, Whatever that is, 40 years, I don't know, whatever that's been. Exactly. Yep. I mean, I, I feel bad because I can see like with HIV and the precautions because there were so many unknowns and you don't want and, to put your, your first line of defense. You don't want to put them at risk. And we couldn't, but we also, the more we know about things and the more we know about HIV and STDs and things, the more we can use appropriate measures right. and the more we can keep people safe and encourage them to do the things that are safe. And I like say, I don't know a lot of people that are still practicing over 40 years who have seen that entire span. Um, but everybody that I do know, I mean, we're all sort of panicked at the behavior that we're seeing now with behaviors, the same with COVID people, we know what causes it and people just go out and get it anyway. So that was difficult. For me. So that was my first exposure to it. And then when I graduated from PA school in 1994 and worked at the state prison, I was in charge of all the HIV inmates there. So there was about 10% of the population we figured at any one time that um, were HIV positive. I got to take care of them and really help them feel better when they were in prison. It was a, we tried to make that a very um, safe place for them. And get medications and stuff. So, you know, one thing I've learned about uh, our discussions between you and I, Sue, is I definitely understand the oath that the medical people take as far as the ethical treatment and as you take care of people that are sick. I really see there's a passion coming through from you. You take it very serious. And I think it's amazing that there are people like you in the medical industry that take your job very serious and you take care of these people at what normally would be the most difficult times of their life. Some of them struggling to stay alive. Well, I appreciate that. That's why we do what we do. Some people, maybe not so much. I, you know, I think that a lot of people are jaded. I Mm. can hear it in your voice, genuine compassion and empathy for people and their struggles uh, medically. Well, it definitely gives you a different, I think that experience gave me a different look, obviously. And as well as, I mean, be, having the opportunity to take care of um, all the the folks at the prison, you get to see them, uh, you know, as real people and up close and human. And you get to, unfortunately, experience all the things that they go through. And back then, we really had very little couple of medications that's all and we had a couple people that just kept coming they'd, they'd reoffend. You, you know this story they'd reoffend because right. they could come back and get care um and on the street they weren't getting care so they'd reoffend so they could come back and get care which i mean i was okay with this that it wasn't an appropriate place to do that and now situation is different i don't know that it's well it certainly has made me jaded but it's not been medical care really that's made me jaded <laughs> Right, right. (laughs) I understand that. There's a few other things that have made me think, but you know, that's that's been my experience. Let's talk about HIV and AIDS as it is today. 
to start out, what is the difference between HIV infection and full-blown AIDS? HIV infection is when you initially become infected and your body manages it without you knowing about it. You might have that initial symptoms that people have and some people don't pay any attention to it. So you're HIV positive. AIDS is when that disease is overcoming your immune system, your body's not keeping up. And unfortunately, a lot of people ignore things to the point to where they have full-blown AIDS. So hence the push to get people tested early so it doesn't mm -hmm. get to that point. So it depends on, official definition depends on blood counts and how involved your immune system is. But now with the fabulous meds, we can keep people from dying, which is Thank which God. is great. And not having all of those horrible ways to die um, that we couldn't do anything about. So, you know, the other unfortunate thing, I don't know too many people, as a nurse, we started seeing explosions of HIV and AIDS in hemophiliacs, people who have blood disorders where they don't clot. Oh. And, and unfortunately, it, it's a genetic disorder, and so they would have to have blood transfusions um, in order to even this small little minor injury or surgery, and these people wouldn't blood clot. So they were the one of the first victims of um, the HIV epidemic. The majority of them died. Um, wow. And you don't hear of a lot of hemophilia anymore because, unfortunately, a lot of the people died before they could pass those genetic abnormalities on. That And that affected people who they hadn't had any of that risky behavior. They were simply born with a genetic disorder where they couldn't clot blood. And our blood supply at that time was not safe, flat out. Wow. I always heard the discussion of the, the T cell. Uh -huh. And it's about like T cells drop below a certain level. Uh -huh. And now you're classified as having AIDS. Am I outdated on this? It's been a long time since I've had a discussion about HIV and AIDS. I don't think you are. And, and I am probably outdated. I don't know the exact number. I know what it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, so it's probably, it's probably similar. That's all we used to be able to do was just follow T cell counts. Okay. That's a, that was about it. As soon as you are diagnosed HIV positive, they can start you on medication. So you never get to that point. But the challenge is diagnosing and, and testing early as, as always with all diseases. Yes. And so, of course, now here's a common thing. And the whole reason that we're having this discussion, and I think I may have told you, Sue, is that I get on different dating apps and I see a lot of people that have listed that they are HIV positive, mm -hmm. but it's, it's undetectable. And I'm like, I'm confused because at this point, this disease should be extinct. You know, and, and I don't know, like people aren't using protection, clearly. They're not playing safe after all these years. And I know there's been advancements in medical, and I'm just trying to look at ways as far as education to get the word out so people don't have to introduce a, a virus to their body. Well, because we have people living so much longer with HIV, you're prob we're probably not going to get the disease to be extinct. I mean, hemophilia is damn near extinct, but 
unfortunately, that's not the way we want to go with it. So if you can treat someone and they're not, their levels aren't detectable, then those people live longer and regular long lives. But unfortunately, this disease mutates. It's difficult to come up with a cure. We can't cure it. We can control it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that it's ever going to be extinct, but if HIV has taught us anything about viruses that want to persist, it's that once we have them, we're probably not going to make them go away. So hello, COVID people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> stop doing this. <laughs> the problem is if people stop taking their medication or it becomes unavailable to them or too expensive for them to, to buy, then that disease will progress. Mm -hmm. And if they decide for whatever reason they can't take it or can't afford it over a period of months and then just continue that behavior, they're gonna transmit that disease. And I think that that's what's happening now, besides the fact that these medications are very expensive. Okay, for somebody that's listening to this right now and has does not know about HIV, does not know about AIDS, Going back to the basics, and this is part of a series that we're doing, and it's the ABCs of STDs. So every every time you say that, I think of that Michael Jackson song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just and it's one, two, three, or it's a Sesame Street song. Uh, well, well, you know, it's the basics, and it's talking about these things that you will encounter if you're sexually active. And I would love to be the reason why somebody doesn't get something or is aware of why this is happening to their body. So they go and they get tested, they realize what it is, and they get the medical treatments they need. As far as HIV and AIDS, how is it spread? How can it you get HIV? I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear it from somebody that's in the medical profession. Blood or body fluids? Okay. It comes down to bloody body, blood or body fluids. So if you're exchanging bodily fluids, particularly with sex or blood, so um, with needle use, and, and it's actually becoming less of a problem since, since now heroin users don't have to inject. They can use without, although most of them end up there. But um, so exchanging blood or body fluids, however you do that, not just saliva, it's particularly transmissible if you're using drugs at the same time you're having blood or body fluids because you are less aware of your risk factors. You're less likely to use condoms or avoid risky behavior or just ignore somebody. Just ignore the risks. Sex, vaginal, yes. anal sex, oral sex, is that lower risk? Much lower. Much lower, but there's still a risk. There's still a risk, but I would say that the risk from oral sex is probably is greater for things, unfortunately, like herpes or monkeypox, actually. Let's throw okay. that one into the mix. Oral sex is much less risky and then, because there's generally no abrasive kinds of things going on there. So if you have unprotected sex, you're at a high risk for HIV. And then, of course, like you said, needles if you're yeah. uh, actively using drugs, or even if you're not using a clean needle, I guess, and exchanging with other partners, you're putting yourself at risk. Yep, high risk for HIV and a number of other 
gory buggies. What what are the symptoms? Something starts to happen with somebody's body. They don't know what's going on. What are some what are the things that somebody should look for that definitely you need to go get tested? Yes, I'm sexually active. Yes, I'm with my partner and we do not use condoms and something starts to happen with my body. What uh, are the symptoms? Sometimes the first symptoms generally with a, an initial HIV infection are like just flu-y types of symptoms. You feel bad, you have made, I mean, all the symptoms can be affected. So you feel fluey. you might have a fever, you might have a little diarrhea, um, nauseated, nothing's too bad, nothing generally, that's generally not what sends people to the doctor. And especially because that can take just two weeks to become infected, but the biggest, the biggest problem with HIV is there is a window between when you become infected and when we can pick it up on a lab test. And that window can be as much as three months. Okay. You're, you do something, you come in contact, you get the virus, you have a reaction, your body starts fighting off this thing. And that is the flu-like symptoms. Yeah. And then it goes away. So, yeah, so you go away. It. So, hey, I'm okay. Yeah. And if you go get tested at that point, it's not, there's not enough of it in your system right. for you to and, actually test positive. Right. So you got to go back and get retested or a test initially 90 days. 90 days. Okay. You find out that you're HIV positive. Unfortunately, you go to the health clinic, you go to your doctor, they call you and they say, look, we need to sit you down. You're going to have to start getting on these medications because. Mm -hmm you have HIV infection. Mm -hmm. What is the treatment plan for somebody that has been exposed and has HIV? Well, there's different medications now. There's two. There are multiple medications out there now in the last, I think it's been three years, I think. The two new ones, the Truvada and Descovy, and now they have a new shot out that is extremely effective. It used to be a cocktail of different kinds of medications and, you know, you're taking six or eight pills a day and, mm. and now these drugs are now combined and they will drive the active form of the virus down to where it's not multiplying in your bloodstream. Mm. So you still have the infection, but you're essentially non-transmissible. Assuming you can afford to pay for the meds and you take the meds as directed and you continue to have checkups. I don't know what it is right now with these new meds, if it's every six months probably to repeat labs. Okay. Um, you know, we can't even get people generally to take a full course of 10 days of antibiotics for a sinus infection. It's tough to get people to stay on their meds for any particular reason. Wow. So it's hard. Let me ask you this. Somebody has gotten HIV. They're now on the medication. Is there any reason at that point? Okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to have sex, but I'm going to have it with other people that are HIV positive. So this is cool. I don't need to use condoms anymore, right? Theoretically, that would be, I mean, that's the attitude. Right. Is Would you advise that? No. <laughs> and why not? <laughs> um. I mean, you don't want to be responsible for somebody else getting it. I mean, if you're a responsible human with a conscience, not to say that you can never have sex again, 
but you should inform any partners and people there's still the problem with it is there's still so much shame um, associated with it. Yeah. So people don't want to divulge. There are sickos out there who have sex with people just to see if they can get them infected. So you don't want to run into one of those people or, you know, some other mentally ill people that we just spoke about right that right. have that have issues about why they don't particularly have a conscience or care about someone so i think that the thing has been that people with hiv feel like they have to be celibate and for the rest of life and they don't so these medications enable that but i think that the, you still have a conscience and a social construct that you should tell people I am. Now, whether you should trust somebody's status if they say, yeah, I'm HIV positive, well, I guess that's on you. Okay, so if somebody is HIV positive and then they go out and they have sex with another person that's HIV positive and they do not use condoms, is there risk there? Is there different variations to HIV where even though somebody is positive, that they could get a different variation of this virus? That's a good question. And I am not qualified to answer that. It used to be true. Whether or not it's still true, that's for an infectious disease person, you probably can get a fast opinion on that. It definitely used to be true. I'm going to assume that there are still two or three variants out there. But could you get infected with a different type that wouldn't be responsive to your medication? Probably not. But if you are HIV positive, even though you're on medication and controlled, you are much more likely to get hepatitis and herpes that so, gifts that keeps on giving. So if you're <laughs> HIV positive, just because you're having sex with another HIV positive person doesn't mean that you can't get another two or three little items on the smorgasbord. <laughs> Yeah, I like that reference. Mm -hmm. That's something that I hadn't even thought of is that you've got HIV positive. And so it's a free for all. I'm going to go out to a sex party where everybody's HIV positive, but there's still other risks. There's other things that you can get. Oh my God. So many. And your body is somewhat compromised, even though you're on the cocktail and your immune system strong, you still Mm -hmm. have to remember that you could expose yourself to, like you said, hepatitis, or gonorrhea, syphilis, chlamydia, et cetera, uh, et cetera. That's the big issue. You are still immune compromised. You still, it's more likely you're going to have uh, susceptibility to these other things. For for instance, herpes, I keep coming back to it, but there's no cure for herpes. I mean, it's not death-defying like um, HIV, but it can definitely have bad, bad, bad effects in a variety of things. And it's actually harder to protect yourself against herpes than it is HIV, um, you're more prone to get it. I'm going to throw out a little factoid. I don't know if you know this. In 1991, Magic Johnson was uh, was doing oh, yeah. a, an exhibition match in a city, and he got a call from the doctor, and the doctor said, we need you to come back to L.A. right now. Can I play the game? And he's like, no, get on a plane and get back. And do you know where he was? I don't. I don't remember it. I remember so, the situation, but I don't remember the time again. Salt Lake City. Oh, was he? Yes, he was. Oh, oh yep. boy. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy how I always refer to Utah as the Bermuda Triangle of the United States. It just <laughs> seems like a lot of really weird shit 
is there or that happens there. There's a lot of weird history with Utah. And because I think nobody ever tells anybody anything in Utah. We have all these secrets. It's I mean, it's great. Well, one of the things that I always talk about is that the guy that played Big Bird, he met Jim Henson at a puppet festival. Those two actually had contact with each other in Salt Lake City. That's where they met. <laughs> and that's crazy. My heart is in Utah, even though I am the gay Florida man. But spending 20 years there, it was a very interesting time period. I've got another story, and actually this story takes place in Utah. This is a, a very scary story. You know, I knew when I was a teenager, I knew I was different from the other guys. I knew there was an attraction to the same gender. I didn't come out for a long time. I came out during the 2002 Olympics. I started to get into dating and, of course, became sexually active. At one point, I had a roommate. Nice guy, very attractive guy. And one night we were having cocktails, having a good time. I would not necessarily say that this person was my type, but we ended up fucking around. And I don't know if you know the difference between a water-based lubricant and a silicone-based lubricant, but silicone, that fucking shit can go for two weeks. And unfortunately, it becomes so slick in the bedroom, slipping and sliding. It's like you're having sex with that creature from the blob. The condoms that are recommended and that people should be using, you get enough lubricant all over everywhere and those things keep sliding off and it ruins the moment and mm -hmm. you're drunk and you make bad decisions by not forcing yourself to either stop or dry up, shower, reapply do your thing mistakes were made because yeah, who does that i mean yeah face it people that are making mistakes don't stop <laughs> so and so i'm in that situation a month later my roommate says to me he goes hey i need to talk to you i said oh yeah what's up what's going on he says um look uh, i got sick two weeks ago and basically he had gone through everything that we just talked about he felt like he had a virus because his joint started hurting, his muscles started hurting. He ran a temperature, he got real sick, and two or three days later, it was gone. But there was something that made him decide to go get tested at the health department. And unfortunately, he was HIV positive. And he was telling me the health department had asked him to name everybody he had sexual activity with in the last two months. And so he wrote down the names. <laughs> now, there you are. I'm on there, but you know, the scary thing is, is, you know, I was one of probably several pages. Oh. Yeah, right. You know, the longer that he was the roommate, the more I realized, like, he has a lot of friends that he brings <laughs> over that stay for a few hours. Very terrifying. Uh, the health department did reach out to me and they said, we need you to come in. We need you to get tested. Well, I was, I was scared shitless, Sue. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm looking for symptoms. I had not had any type of flu-like symptoms myself, but what if I had it and just didn't have a big reaction to sure. HIV in my system? I went, I think, with two friends that we went down to the health department and I went in for the initial test. The nurse comes back in and they had done like all the tests on me for all venereal diseases. And she said, you know, good news you are negative as of right now, but you need to come back in in X amount of days or months 
because they explained to me what you would explain where it has to build up in your system so that they can test and see if it's really in your body. You have that waiting period for months and I'm pleading with you people like seriously be safe having sex because waiting months for the next test and every time you sneeze, you're like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. Or every time you don't feel well or you have a fever, you're thinking to yourself, oh my God. I went back in for the next test and I was negative, you know, from that point forward. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Naked Gun, where the two main characters, they have sex and they're in full body condoms. But that was basically me for a while. Yeah. yeah. Like absolutely overprotective, very, very, very safe. But um, that's because you're smart. Well, I wasn't smart that first time with the three gallons of silicone lubricant. That was really stupid. And, you know, to, to drink and then become sexually active, you make bad decisions, your judgment's off. The reality is I fucked up. I but, could have really paid a price. But everybody does. So that's the thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't beat yourself up for it. You know, you can't be straight people. Gay, but I mean, as, as a nurse, I suffered a finger stick, a dirty finger stick one time. I ended up having to go through the same thing, mm-hmm. get tested, and then three months later get tested. So We've all, anybody in healthcare has had that experience aside from sex too, you, where you might, you know, have been exposed to something. Yeah, you fucked up, but everybody does. But that's the thing with HIV. You shouldn't have to pay with your life for one fuck up. But unfortunately, that may be all it takes. Right. For people that become infected, and if you were to have a friend that became infected and they came to you and they said, Sue, I don't have health insurance. What can I do? Because the cocktail, it's probably pretty expensive. Yeah, I'm just trying to look up how much it is, and I can't find it really quickly, but I'm sure it is because all new drugs are. Right. Um, is there a it, program or something where they can get help? Um, there, And here you've got me on that one because I used to know that one, and now since I don't take care of HIV people anymore. But yes, infectious disease people, infectious disease doctors who take care of them can hook people up. There's coupon programs. Medicaid now finally pays for it. So there's ways to get care. And whether or not that care is limited, you know, I mean, maybe, unfortunately, some of the programs that help will limit people to particular kinds of meds. And I I couldn't say for certain on that one. Right, yes, right. there is way more help now than there ever used to be. It used to be people would die because they couldn't afford their meds. or And people with HIV would share their meds with somebody else that couldn't afford it. So then both of them are not getting adequate treatment. But that's, uh, yeah, but that's how it works. And like I say, that's how, you know, we would get some of our HIV inmates back because they couldn't afford their care. So they just reoffend or whatever and come back so we could get in the meds. But yes, that and to av- avoid that, there are now programs. So yes, okay, and if, I, they might vary from state to state. Now, one thing that's come up in the last few years, and it seems that a lot of people have talked about, as we talk about medications, I'm going to return to prevention, and there is this thing that is called prep. Mm-hmm. It's very popular in the gay community that hey, I'm on prep to prevent mm-hmm. infection. And this is some type of drug to stop the spread, like you can take it to reduce the risk. Can you tell me what that is, Sue? Yes. So it reduces the risk of transmission. And here's the 
that's our the bad thing about prep is that people will just go back to all this high risk behavior. Yep. Or they will use, and I will mention this, and I'm going to preface this little dosing by saying this is not FDA or CDC approved. So there's a pill that you can take. Um, you take two pills, two to 24 hours before sex, one pill 24 hours after that dose, and another pill one 24 hours after that dose. So theoretically, you could be like, well, I'm going to go to a party, and I'll just do it for this four pills. That is not approved. I familiar that that is the way some people are using it. it it shouldn't be used that way and whether or not people are admitting to you that they're using that way or not i'm not sure right but there is a pill that people can take that helps prevent hiv infection um we would try and get any of our when i did addiction treatment we would try and get any of our high-risk people on it but unfortunately if you are doing drugs or you know you're not going to take your pills either so most of those people would fall off and the thing with prep is that you before you start it you need a negative hiv test and then you really should have one every three months and maybe if you're really good about it maybe every six months but mm. you definitely need to keep having tests it's not like you can defer all of that you can't just go your merry way you need to have follow-up that may depend on the individual and the provider, whether they say, you know, three months or six months. It's definitely six months. But. Okay. Good to know. If you are sexually active and you don't have HIV, PrEP is something you should look into. Mm -hmm. Nothing's 100%, right? Is that a safe thing to That's say? That's a safe bet. But if you no. have, for instance, a couple, a discordant couple, so one who's HIV positive and one who's not, definitely that's something that the one who's not should be on. Okay. Um, so if you have, you know, if you're about to have a relationship or you have a relationship with somebody who um, engages in high-risk behavior, then that can definitely help keep you safe. So if you don't trust your husband, make sure you get on PrEP. <laughs> is, that, is that some good advice for anybody is, that's listening? This is you talk. You have yeah. no idea. Um, yeah. uh, word to the wise. Word, word to, to the, the wise. wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I got one other story that I want to talk about, and this is about an individual. Again, very, very emotional story for me. And I know that people that are listening to this that lived through this with me, they remember that I didn't handle this very well. But I had met this guy, and it was probably 2011, 2012. I had met this guy online, and his name is David. David and I started seeing each other, and it was more of a hookup situation for sure. Over time, we had seen other people, and I got into a relationship in 2012 to 2013. And so I didn't have any contact with David. And then what happened was, is I broke up in that relationship and then reconnected with David and it was pretty dysfunctional. We'll save that for another podcast, mm -hmm. but anyways, uh, breakups and relationships, that's going to be a really good podcast because mm -hmm. I got some stories to tell there with David. I had reconnected with him and I always really had a great time with him. It was so much fun. When I had met him and being around him, I felt like I was 16 again for the first time, like the first time you kiss somebody and you get the butterflies. 
like just being around him and seeing his smile, the energy that we had and just laughing all the time and we're around each other. It was amazing. We reconnected and we started hanging out at that time. He was single. I was single. Like what's going on? Like, why aren't we dating? And he had told me that the previous January he had met somebody, but he really wasn't into the person, but he was a nice guy. And so he would hang out with him and they would go on trips together. This guy was like the ultimate cock block for me with David. <laughs> and so I was frustrated. because I thought I he was a nice guy at that. Yes, yes. And so I, I was frustrated because I really w- wanted this thing to progress. We were hanging around pretty regularly every couple of weeks. But, you know, he was single. I was single. And I was just frustrated because I really wanted to make it more of a committed thing. I had a trip scheduled and I went to Los Angeles for um, Halloween, time period of Halloween. It wasn't actually, I don't think it was Halloween weekend, but I remember I had gone to the Abbey in LA and I'd gotten really drunk on berry martinis because if you ever go to LA, if you go to the Abbey, they have the best fucking berry martini if you drink. And it's, oh my God, it goes down so smooth. <laughs> Anyways, I got really fucked up on berry martinis. <laughs> and when you, it, then when you... When you get drunk and you start getting emotional and you're thinking about somebody and you start texting them, Uh, we've all been down this path, you know, I'm texting him, I'm emotional and I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and call him. So I go outside the club and there was this field next to the Abbey and I go out there and I call him. It's just such a mistake. It's the perfect storm because I start asking about this other guy. Like, I want to know who this guy is that has stopped you and I from becoming something serious. We're just meant to be together. And I said, what is it about this guy that you like? And I'll never forget David's response. Cause he said, he accepts me for who I am. And he accepts me for my HIV positive status. My world stopped. I remember just buckets of tears started coming and I dropped down to my knees and I was punching the ground. I was not worried, Sue, about exposure because we had not been sexually active with penetration since we had reconnected. And so I wasn't worried about that. It was sadness that he had this virus. It was horrible. It was horrible. And I remember getting off the phone with him and calling some other friends and And they just, they felt bad because I was so emotional. And I remember going back to my friend's place and I called again at like 4.30 and he answered immediately. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, I just wanted to check on him. I wanted to see if he was okay. I went back to Utah and we got together. We went and saw Dumb and Dumber 2 was the, the one where Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels returned to their roles. And we went, I went and saw it. And I remember sitting in the car. It's a good date to that. I know. I know. Well, it was because, what is wrong with you? because him and I, we love comedy. Like we would laugh together all the time. So it had to be a comedy. I remember sitting, it was at Jordan landing at that movie theater. And I remember sitting in the car and I looked at him. I started crying again because right. I just cared so much about David. And he looked at me and he didn't shed one tear. And there was almost like this thought that he he really doesn't care about 
what has happened. It was really hard. We continued to hang out for a while. This understanding that like when you text or when you call and they don't respond, it's because they're with that other person. And you know that this other person, um, another person that he's dating. In January, he had texted me and he had said that he'd gotten some bad news. I immediately called him and he didn't answer and he never texted back and hours turned to days, days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months. I never heard from David ever again. I heard through another friend that he had actually gotten married the following August and he ironically got married on my birthday. I mean, I wonder, not in his defense, but I wonder if when he didn't react to you, if it was because he had so much other stuff going on, he had to sort of like harden his heart on at least one of those things that yep, yep. he had to deal with this diagnosis and also a new partner and everything that goes along with it. And he didn't want to hurt your feelings. And mm-hmm. if he'd, if he'd have been involved and didn't care about, I mean, maybe he would have been more emotional. Maybe that would have been an opening that his heart couldn't afford at the time. No, you're absolutely right. When I was in the other relationship, he had reached out to try to contact me. The person I was dating at the time had seen the message and replied back to it and said, never contact Mark ever again. Well, Sue, that pretty much sums up my three HIV stories. Um, You got John, which is an amazing, beautiful story I can't talk enough about. And then you had the situation with the roommate. Not such a good story. Mistakes made very risky, very dangerous. And then finally the story with David. Um, but, um, we all have those stories. It's part of life. There's something to be said for dating people who are a little older, who've been there, done that, got some sense and that aren't borderlines. (laughs) Yeah. That's again, that's another, that's a whole different guy. Um, but that's a great story too for another podcast you know maybe what i need to do is have you on and not talk about the abcs of stds just talk about dating oh, pe- people that we shouldn't date i don't know i am no yeah i am not the person that you should be talking to about right. that. okay uh, there's probably a few other people that have other better insight i just you know sometimes <laughs> on the being on the on the receiving end of crazy We'll just leave it at that. And we digress. (laughs) digress. Is there any other closing thoughts you have on HIV, on AIDS? Anything that we didn't really cover as far as uh, protection, treatment? So, 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 so many. Now people live long lives. Magic Johnson's still alive, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So people live long lives with it. But hopefully he did change um, his behavior. I'm going to bet he did since he's under the microscope on that one. But yeah, the problem people see with AIDS and HIV is now, especially that you have the prep where you can prevent your, it's 99% effective or 74% if you're, if you're sharing needles and having, and having sex. So um, is HIV cannot be looked at in a silo. You have to look at it in connection with all of these other drugs that are also that can also be transmitted 
it's the whole smorgasbord of things that you can also get with risky behavior. And just because you're taking PrEP doesn't mean you can't worry about all of these other things. HPV, another one where we probably won't even get to that one ever, but HPV, which causes cancer, as well as herpes and all of the other STDs and, you know, clap. <laughs> nothing to clap about sue but <laughs> nothing to clap about but sorry whatever we talk about it's like we have to talk about that there that's what it's not just in a silo it's not just by itself it has to be looked at with now that you can survive with aids it has to be looked at with all of these other things as well which can make your life completely miserable as well and somebody else's too yes well, Sue, there's my I, take home message. Very good. I like. I love it. <laughs> we've talked about HIV. I think we've done a very good job with this one. Next time, we're going to continue with the ABCs of STDs. No offense, Mr. Jackson. We're just using some type of term to talk about all of the STDs and the risks involved, etc. Sue, we'll come back next time and cover a lot more stuff than just this one virus. But I thought this was really important. But thank you so much for coming on and giving us so much information to share to people about this virus. Well, I don't know that I gave you so much information as that I give you cautions from somebody who has HIV AIDS in their rearview mirror. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's useful. I think people have a tendency to want to live in the moment. But for us old people who took care of people back in the day and have seen it get better and now see behavior get worse, it's very scary because we don't want to see. I'm not going to be around to take care of those 20-year-olds when right. they get sick in 20 years. That's my take on HIV is looking at it in the rear view. I like it. Well, I end this episode with the same thing I tell you every week, and that is to be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, everybody. Yeah.